Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Hi everyone, it's Beth here for a quick primer on mental health services in the United States. I want to thank Debbie Cohen, one of our regular listeners. Debbie has a PhD and teaches social work students in Texas. She is frequently someone who provides us with great insight and data, and she prepared the notes for this primer so that we could share some background in advance of our discussion on Tuesday about how mental health is currently being addressed in our communities. So I want to go back to the Elizabethan Poor Law of 1601, and the purpose of going this far back in time is just to say that the roots of mental health services are in dealing with poverty, and you can see that trend continue all the way through the present day. So under the 1601 Poor Law, the poor were divided into a couple of different categories. The law referred to the impotent poor, people who couldn't work and were labeled as either lame, impotent, old, or blind. Those folks were given relief in something like an almshouse or a poorhouse. There was another category of people called the able-bodied poor who were sent to work in what is referred to as a house of industry. And then the third category was the idle poor and vagrants who were sent to a house of correction or even a prison poor children would become apprentices. And so depending on the person and how the person was viewed, 
Some individuals with mental illnesses were treated as impotent poor, some were treated as idle poor, but the care or institutionalization provided under the law dealt with these folks only because of their economic circumstances. As people migrated across the pond to the United States, so came along the concept of asylums. And in the mid-1800s, Dorothea Dix started discovering that mentally ill people in Massachusetts were jailed alongside criminals, denied clothing, left in unlit and unheated and windowless rooms. And over a 40-year period, she crusaded on behalf of the mentally ill. Her work resulted in 32 state hospitals being established as asylums. Another trend that you'll see along with dealing with poverty and mental health is the role of women as advocates on behalf of the mentally ill. Our understanding of mental health really started to change at the turn of the 20th century. A German psychiatrist developed distinctions among different mental disorders, particularly between manic depressive psychosis and schizophrenia. At this time, state mental hospitals became very popular and largely started to replace asylums. When these mental hospitals were initially built, they originally had low staff-patient ratios and humane treatment because of the work that Dorothea Dix had done. But as asylums started closing, these hospitals became very crowded, and the staff started to be overwhelmed, and patients started experiencing almost human warehousing. At this time, Nellie Bly, a New York Times reporter, got herself admitted to Blackwell's Island and wrote an expose on the conditions there. Her work resulted in more funding for state mental hospitals. And Debbie encourages anyone to read Nellie Bly's original book or any of the books written about her life because she was such an advocate for human rights. She also opened a lot of doors for future women in journalism. Also at the turn of the 20th century, we started to experience Sigmund Freud's work. He established an era of psychoanalysis, or the talking cure. While few people still practice true psychoanalysis, which is a long process, it set the stage for much of current psychiatry and psychology. Many of Freud's ideas have been disproven, but there are specific concepts that are still used as building blocks related to contemporary neuroscience, attachment theory, and therapeutic techniques. Following Nellie Bly's work being published, a number of people started objecting to institutionalization of the mentally ill. This culminated in President Harry Truman signing the National Mental Health Act in 1949, and this act established the National Institute of Mental Health, which was to do research on mental illness and start to develop better practices for treatment. The two biggest changes within mental health occurred between 1949 and 1963. The first was the invention of two drugs. In 1949, lithium was invented, and in 1952, Thorazine. These two antipsychotic drugs were effective in some ways. They led to a number of side effects. But because of these two drugs, deinstitutionalization became possible because symptoms could be controlled without people being institutionalized. The number of institutionalized mentally ill people in the United States dropped from 560,000 to 130,000 by 1980, largely because of these drugs. 
The second major change that occurred in mental health was the signing of the Community Mental Health Center's Construction Act in 1963, which provided federal money to develop a network of community mental health centers. So with deinstitutionalization, you had less of a need for these massive state mental health hospitals, and the hope was to create more community-based care because people who had been institutionalized for the long term needed ongoing mental health treatment and an array of social services that were not uniformly available to them. Since the signing of the Community Mental Health Center's Construction Act in 1963, only half of the proposed centers were ever built. None of them were fully funded, and the act did not provide enough money to operate those that were built in the long term. States started closing expensive state hospitals, and many of those states did not spend more of the money on community-based care. Deinstitutionalization accelerated after the adoption of Medicaid in 1965. During the Reagan administration, the remaining funding for the act was converted to mental health block grants for states. So the states had discretion on how to spend the funds. Since the act was enacted, 90% of beds have been cut at state hospitals. This act was a mixed success. Many patients formerly warehoused in institutions were released and are part of our communities. It's just that not all communities have the facilities or the expertise to help them. In the late 70s and early 80s, some energy started to form around mental health treatment for children. This is prompted by the 1978 Carter Commission on Mental Health and an article by Jane Nitzer written in 1982. The title of that article, if you'd like to read it, is called Unclaimed Children, The Failure of Public Responsibility to Children and Adolescents in Need of Mental Health Services and at the Schoolhouse Door, an Examination of Programs and Policies for Children with Behavioral and Emotional Problems. Community health centers began to establish child mental health programs that were wholly separate from adult programming. Children's programs focused on resilience and relied very little on specific diagnoses as the gatekeeper to get services. Within adult mental health systems, adults might only act with a mental health provider. But children experienced more multi-system coordination, so they might be served by special education, juvenile justice, and child welfare. Since the 1990s, children's mental health has focused more on coordination between systems than on therapeutic interaction. Within most community mental health centers, children's programs are physically separated from adult programs, often identified by a different agency name to the public, and have a different focus on programming. In adult systems, the focus is rehabilitation. How can we meet this person's basic needs? How can we help this person function in daily life or get back to work? For children, services are focused on establishing new skills and engaging families and other supportive adults to support their achievement and well-being. It's a tough transition from one system to the other. So as a child starts to approach adulthood, they're exiting different systems built for them as children at different ages, and they're sometimes transferred to an adult counterpart or discharged entirely. As a result of the changes during the Reagan era, community mental health centers are either county or state controlled. In most states, the success of the center is largely related to leadership. Within the mental health community, most people are promoted based on their ability to be a good clinician. 
But being a good clinician is different than being a strong manager or administrator. And so sometimes these centers, well-meaning as they are, are not well-run because the people don't have the skills to both deliver great therapy and essentially run an organization. Some good things that have happened since the 1960s. There's been a rise in rigorous research to produce evidence-based practices. For adults with serious mental illness, some evidence-based practices are assertive community treatment, illness management and recovery, individual placement and support models of supported employment. For children, evidence-based practices that have been successful are multi-systemic therapy and parent-child interaction therapy. Different forms of cognitive behavioral therapy have been shown to be effective for both children and adults. Recently, there's been an increased focus on early intervention for serious mental illnesses. There was a national study with 30 community sites that showed a variant of assertive community treatment. Coordinated specialty care could be effective for the intensive early treatment of the first psychotic break. So with all this background, here we are today. In early December, President Obama signed the 21st Century Cures Act. It was an omnibus 300-plus page bill dealing with four different major areas. The first area was research specifically for cancer. The second area was protected health information. The third was the federal structure of mental health. And fourth, the interactions between mental health and criminal justice. So we'll review at a very high level the sections related to mental health, which are primarily sections two through four of the bill. Protected health information is a term created by HIPAA laws, and you've probably heard of HIPAA laws because anytime you go to a doctor or hospital, you have to sign a HIPAA disclosure form, which lets the healthcare provider know what sort of information they can share with whom in your life. Mental health has a contentious relationship with protected health information. There's a term, anosognosia, that applies to people who don't think they have anything wrong with them. This comes up regularly with individuals with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. In many cases, HIPAA prevents caring families from facilitating health care for loved ones because the loved ones will not give them permission to have the information. The Cures Act includes a provision directing the government to clarify how mental health providers can involve families. There's a great divide in the mental health community about the inclusion of this provision in the Cures Act. Some consumer advocates feel it's a step backwards. Others feel it's greatly needed. The HIPAA barrier is explained in a memoir by Pete Early called Crazy. If you'd like to learn more about this, Crazy is the story of the author trying to help his son following a schizophrenia diagnosis. The aspect of the Cures Act dealing with federal structures requires a little bit of background. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. 
and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So essentially, there are two major federal institutions that lead mental health work on a national level. So you might remember President Truman created the National Institute of Mental Health back in 1949. Later, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration was created, but it was a part of the National Institute of Mental Health. It broke away in 1992 And its services grants were separated from the research mission of the National Institute of Mental Health. Since then, these two institutions have grown further and further apart. And many people think that the lack of evidence-based practices in community health care can be blamed on the fact that these two federal institutions don't work together well. Now, there are a number of effective evidence-based practices, but there are barriers to implementing those practices in the usual care settings. Many evidence-based practices have never made it into community settings, and when they do, they are impractical within the current systems and structures. So the Cures Act hopes to push the National Institute of Mental Health to be more community-focused and to push the Substance Abuse Administration to be more research-focused. The ultimate goal is to create more practices that are tested within community mental health settings and can be quickly spread to others. In addition, there are lots of federal agencies that touch mental health care in some way, the VA, the Department of Justice, and other agencies. So 
because of the lack of coordination that this creates, the Cures Act also creates a new position, the Assistant Secretary of Mental Health, to better coordinate care across health and human services and other federal agencies. The other important element within this section is the concept of parity. So mental health parity describes treating mental health conditions as equal to physical health conditions under an insurance plan. As an example, if a plan provides unlimited doctor visits for a chronic condition like diabetes, it also has to provide unlimited visits for a mental health condition like depression or schizophrenia. The concept of parity was first passed in 2008, signed into law by George W. Bush in the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act. It was also an important concept in the Affordable Care Act, and even though it continues to be legislated, it's still a challenge. Defining normal behavior is challenging because of the complex nature of the human mind, and there's not a blood test or a biological marker to determine whether a person is mentally ill or not. As a result, we have underdiagnosis, misdiagnosis, and overdiagnosis happening, and it's just difficult to deal with that under insurance plans. The last section of the act is better training and coordination between mental health and the criminal justice system. This section of the Cures Act is largely devoted to future grants and pilot programs. So will the Cures Act fix anything? Maybe. There's great promise in the promotion of community-based research. There does need to be a philosophy change to let those researchers in the door in many settings. This bill doesn't fix the out-of-date system. Community health centers were created to serve adults who were once living in a state hospital. Many of the young adults who now develop a serious mental illness are turned off by this sort of arcane approach. If we do anything over the next 10 to 20 years, it needs to focus more on the needs of young adults. We need a system that promotes hope and not disability. That change will require more than one bill. This bill is huge. Those are just the high points. We haven't spent time on substance abuse treatment, which people started to care about when the war on drugs began. We haven't talked a lot about financing, which is one of the reasons that Debbie believes the community mental health system is broken. In all states, community mental health centers are reliant on Medicaid and general revenue. There's very little diversification in their resources. Basically, these centers were built to serve the poor and people who cannot work. What happens now that people can lead productive lives but need access to treatment and support? In other words, you'll get better access to mental health care right now if you have Medicaid. Many community health centers actually turn away private insurance. We also have the problem of stigma compounded by people not seeing behavioral health as a part of medicine which is complicated by some advocates not wanting alignment of behavioral health with medicine. So there are a lot of barriers to mental health treatment being done well, and we will talk more about where Sarah and I see the system going on our Tuesday episode. Thank you again to Debbie for taking the time to share her lecture notes with us. I hope this has been helpful, and we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement, 
and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. 